morning. Well, it's great to see you all this morning and to uh, welcome you to Riverside. And um, you've joined us on the fourth week of a series that we've um, been going through called Soul Rescue. And um, through this whole series, we've been dealing with the value of the human soul. Uh, We've said that the soul is the greatest and most valuable part of our lives. We have said that you can either see your soul lost or saved. We have said that you uh, have this part of you that is going to live forever, either in heaven or in hell. And um, it's your most valuable possession. It's the most valuable part of your life. Don't take my word for it. The scriptures are full of that fact. And so we've talked, as I've said, about a soul, souls being lost, souls being saved. This morning, I want to talk to you about caring for your soul, caring for your soul. You know, one of the things I enjoy is watching um, period drama uh, on the TV, and especially period drama that comes from the UK um, that usually looks back in history. And I've been watching a program called Victoria. And um, it's the story of Queen Victoria, um, perhaps one of the greatest um, queens uh, that the UK has had. And um, as I was watching um, this, uh, this past few weeks, um, it was that um, the story was uh, being told uh, about the fact of um, a, a time in the life of Queen Victoria very early in her reign, where it was that um, a plague of cholera broke out in the city of London. It was spreading like wildfire, and it was especially affecting the poor of the city, and um, they were dying of this plague um, of cholera. Queen Victoria was a queen that loved her people, and she demanded that every effort should be made to find the cause of the cholera and also to find a cure for this plague. While there was a politician, his name was Dr. John Snow. Um, He was a doctor as well as a politician. He was actually a man that was looked down upon by the um, IAPS in politics. He had a stutter and um, he was never looked on as anyone important But he took it on himself to trace the cause of this cholera. And um, it was that he now made every effort to find out where it was coming from and uh, how they could stop it affecting especially the poorest parts of the city. Well, in the end, he found that it was coming from one water pump that was right in the city of London that many of the poor and the broken would come to for water. And he found that that water pump was contaminated and was actually the cause of the cholera. Not before, however, that um, one of the queen's closest friends, actually one of her servants, drank some of the water and actually died. She drank the contaminated water. Fortunately for others, it was that... um, This good doctor, he found out the cause and he got it all put right and they dealt with the problem right then. Now, I tell you that story because I am a nobody, 
But I feel that there is a plague happening in Christianity that is very dangerous to your souls and not many are raising the alarm and, and too many Christians are actually drinking the water. They are drinking the poisonous water, if I can put it that way. The plague I have called hyper-grace. Now, grace is a wonderful gift from God. It means that everything needed for my eternal salvation has been bought for me by Jesus Christ. By his death and by his resurrection, the grace of God, the undeserved favor of God then, is now available to everyone. Now, what I call hyper-grace is this. It is that people get to a place where they say, because Jesus has bought me, uh, bought me my salvation, I can live as I please and I can do as I want. Because of the day that I knelt before the cross and I gave my heart and life to Jesus, now having given my heart and life to Jesus, I'm all right for eternity. I can now live as I please and I can do as I want. God won't mind. I want to tell you that's poisonous water. That is a poison that's in Christendom at the moment. And, um, and the fact is that Christians are drinking at the well of this poisonous water are in, and are in great danger. And I love you too much not to raise an alarm. I love this church too much to keep silent. I love the people of this church too much to keep silent. So I want this morning to raise an alarm. I, I want to warn you about what uh, can happen. And I want you to leave here this morning with an understanding of how God is looking at your life. I'm going to the book of Proverbs chapter 4 and reading from verse 23. It says this. It says, Guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The word heart there, it means your inner life. The word heart there, it means your soul. It means that part of you that's going to live forever. It's that part of you that you surrender to Jesus Christ when you surrender your life to him. It is that part of you that I say is your most valuable part. And so the message today is a very practical one. The message that I bring is to ask some questions like, what does it mean to guard your heart? What does that look like? Why is that important? And, why, and how am I going to do this? I want you to leave with practical help in God in your heart. So let's talk about God in your heart. Guard your heart, says Proverbs, with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Now you might say to me, well, you know, John, um, only God can guard my heart. But you know, that's like a farmer saying, only God can make my harvest grow. And he sits and twiddles his thumb, waiting for the harvest to grow when he's done nothing about it. You see, this is a command that comes in the scripture. It's an active duty command. It is God saying, I want you to do this. I want you to guard your heart. 
It is something that God calls us to do. You know, when you become a Christian, the Bible says that we get a new heart. We now get a heart that loves God. We now get a heart that's devoted to God. We get a heart that now trusts God. The Apostle Paul said this, he says, If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. But God also says, hey Christian, guard your hearts. You know, one pastor was talking to me about this and um, he says, you know, the greatest difficulty before conversion is to win people's hearts to God. He said the greatest difficulty after conversion is to keep the people's heart with God. And it's so very true. It is that you can come to God with great passion, great delight, great joy. But I have to warn you that it will be that after a certain time, it will be that things will seem to normalize, or at least it's, it sounds like normal when it's not. Because I, I'm going to warn you today that the fact is that our heart is under attack. And the fact is that it is uh, an effort to take our hearts from that place of initial devotion and initial giving of ourselves in trust in Christ. You know, there was a day when God spoke to a prophet and um, he said to the prophet Samuel, he says, I want you to go and anoint a man king and I'm going to take you to a family, that, the family of Jesse. He's got a number of sons and he says, one of them I've decided is going to be king. And he said this to him, listen, I don't want you to look at the outward appearance because man looks at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. So get this, God's primary focus when it comes to you and me is primary focus is fixed first of all on our hearts. And if God's eye is fixed on our hearts, our eye should be fixed on our hearts. That is, the keeping of the heart is one of the Christian's greatest priorities in life. After all that God has done for us, after all of our experience of being a Christian, after all our services as a missionary or a Christian leader, however it has been that you have served the Lord, there still exists in our hearts this pulling away from God. Never mind how long you followed after God. Never mind how long you've been committed to going after God. I wanted to tell you there's something deep inside the human heart that draws us away from God so that we do our own thing. It's a secret drawing that goes on. It's a secret and it's very alarming. You know, John Bunyan wrote one of the famous books ever written in Christian circles called Pilgrim's Progress. Not many people know that he wrote another book which was called The Holy War, in which he pictured our hearts and our souls as a walled city surrounded by enemies. He, he, he said this, he says, there are enemies without, there are enemies outside but he said, you need to be aware because also there are traitors inside your heart. 
He, he said, so you've got this two-fold attack that comes. You've got the enemies who are outside. The devil is out to trip you up. The devil is out to bring you down. The devil is out to destroy you. You have to resist the devil and he will flee from you. He says, but listen, there's something else. It's not just the enemies outside. It's the traitor inside your own heart that you have to be aware of. So our hearts need constant defending against the enemies on the outside and the traitors hidden inside our hearts. So why guard our hearts? One version of the scripture says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Now Bunyan, as you saw there, he took the imagery of a military um, conflict, talked about the heart being uh, like a fortress, attacked from the outside, traitors on the inside. Let me take a different picture. I'll take you to the world of music. You know, some of the team that lead worship here, and I don't know about you, I think our worship is some of the best worship you'll ever sit in. It's been amazing this morning. You know, some of the team that worship here, they play very expensive instruments. And I've noticed this, they guard them with their lives. Now, you would think that a guitar that may be worth hundreds and hundreds of dollars would always keep itself in tune. But the truth is that nearly every time, nearly every time they take this massively expensive instrument out of the case, the first thing that they do is to check if it's in tune. If it's not, they tune it. And usually that means every time they take it out, they're fiddling about with those things that tighten the strings. It is that every time they seem to be tuning this guitar, you would think being as expensive as it is that it would tune itself. But it doesn't. Your heart is like that guitar. It's of great value. In fact, it's of greater value than any instrument in the world. It's of great value, greater than any instrument ever made. It is of more value, the Bible says, than the whole world and its nature. Listen, its nature is to constantly fall out of tune. The nature of the human heart is to move away from God. The nature of the human heart is to allow things in that take you away from God. So I need to tune my heart. I need to tune my heart because out of the heart flows the music of life. If you would go a day or a week or a month with your heart out of tune with God, then the music that would come from your life would be out of tune. It would not be beautiful. It wouldn't be harmonious. The sound would be ugly and offensive to people around you. And most of all, get this, it will be offensive to God. When it is that we allow our hearts to be drawn away from the God who gave his son to die for us. And from the son who now rose again from the dead and lives to lead us in our lives. You see, keep your heart in tune. 
Keep your heart in tune, says the scripture, because from it something beautiful will come. From it will flow the springs of life. Things like joy and love and peace and strength and courage and contentment will flow from a heart that is kept in tune. So ask yourself the question for yourself right now, where do the springs of life come from? What are you relying on to give you joy and to peace and contentment and the other stuff that, that should be coming out of your life? What is it that you look to? What would really make you happy? You, you could have one thing. I, I, I wonder what that thing could be. What would make you say, this is life? The natural instinct is for us to think that if the circumstances of my life were changed If the circumstances of my life were different, the springs of life would flow from my life. Oh, when I, hey, listen, when I move to a different place, when I get out of Illinois, the springs of life will flow. When I get a different job, or, or, or maybe it is that when I'm in a different financial position, then the springs of life will flow. Or maybe it says, when I'm in a different relationship, I want to get out of this marriage, I want to get out of this friendship, I want to get out of this relationship. When I have a different relationship, it will all get better. So you ask yourself the question, where do I think the springs of life may flow from? Maybe you say, if I'm married, then the springs of life will flow. Others may say having children. Others may say having children that follow the Lord. Others may say living in Florida. Others may say when I'm in some thriving ministry, where do the springs of life flow from? And God gives us the answer. The springs of life flow from the heart. It's on the inside. I want to tell you, wherever you go, whatever you do, you're going to carry your own heart with you. It is the fact that you'll still have that heart that is beating inside of you, that soul that it's inside of you. Wherever you are, it's the same soul that you're taking with you. If you do not guard your heart, the springs of life will be blocked up to you. Wherever you go, Whatever you do, you will carry this fountain of unhappiness with you. Hey, listen, go to the ends of the earth, go to another city, go and, and, and you, you say, when I get there, it'll, no, no, I want to tell you, you'll still carry the same heart with you. And that same dissatisfaction will emerge again. And it will be that you will find that what you thought was going to bring you life actually is the opposite thing. No change of circumstance, no change of place, even having the finances will change the reality that the springs of life come from a heart that's in tune with God, that walks with God, and keeping the heart is of huge importance. And so the million dollar question is this, how do I do this? How do I keep my heart? How do you keep your heart? Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it the springs of life will flow. Here are very quickly five steps that you can take to keep your heart. Number one, you need to watch. 
Keep your heart with all vigilance. It means watching your heart. You see, a wise Christian will study the Bible, but he'll also study his heart. A wise Christian will study her Bible and also study her heart. You see, you have to become an expert of your own heart. You have to know yourself. You have to know the state of your heart. You have to know what attacks your heart. No one is a better, in a better position to do it than what you are. You are in the right position to look at your own heart. In fact, it's very, very bad to begin to point things out in someone else's heart when you've got things in your own heart that are not being dealt with. Jesus said this, watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. Watch and pray. The Apostle Paul was speaking to a young pastor, Timothy, and he said to him, watch your life, Timothy. Watch your life and your doctrine. He said, Timothy, you may have your doctrine right, but you need to guard your life. You need to watch your heart. You need to keep an eye on your heart. He said to the Ephesian elders, did the Apostle Paul, watch yourself and the flock over which God has made you overseers. So how are we to do this? I I thought of some practical way that I can give to you to help you so that you can know how to guard your heart. And as I was thinking about this, I, I was driving along in my car and suddenly a warning light came up on the dashboard that told me, that one of my tires was low in air and, um, and uh, I, I, immediately I knew I had to do something. So I want you to think about your car this morning and as you drive along the road, there is certain information that you need to have close at hand. You need to know what speed you're going. Some of you don't care about that, but it is pretty important to police. Uh, and, and, and the thing is that as you look at your dashboard, you can tell how fast you're going. And then it'll tell you how much fuel you have left in your tank. And then there's other information that is there. The temperature of your engine, the level of your oil. It was funny that this morning a lady came up to me and apologized for not being in church Last Sunday, and she said, I got up and I got into my car and it was dead. I hadn't realized the, the battery had gone. And, and it is that we have these instruments that will tell us of different things. So, what does the dashboard of your soul look like? And I, I think it would be uh, uh, on the dashboard of our soul, we would have red or green lights. Red light will be the impulses of your heart, the, the push of your heart that tells you that there's something wrong, that tells you that you are wandering into sin. It is that impulse that comes when you know you're going in the wrong direction and you shouldn't be going in that direction. It's the impulse that comes that tells you you are saying things you shouldn't be saying. It's the impulse that comes that tells you you're wandering into secret sin. tells you that you're wandering away from God, that tells you that it is, that you're in the place that you are wandering from the will of God for your lives. Let me give you some examples of red lights that you might want on your dashboard. And what I'm going to encourage you to do is to get a piece of paper when you get home and write down 
all these things in your life. I can't tell you what's in your life. I've got enough of a problem of my own. But the things that come that you need to say, whenever I wander there, a red light's going to come on in my mind to know that I'm going in a wrong direction. It might be that for you it's fear, that you live in a place of fear. That's not a place of trust and a red light comes on when you get into that place of fear. Another one is a place of pride where it is that you're promoting yourself and you're egotistic in your approach and and now pride is in the way and you're becoming more important than God in, in your own eyes. Greed is another one where you are greedy and self-pity. A lady came up to me as she was leaving uh, 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 this morning and she said, Oh, Pastor, I've had weeks of self-pity and you hit it on the head this morning. You know, self-pity is a red light. Resentment, resenting people and things. Cowardice, afraid to take a move is another one. Anger. When it is that you're getting angry all the time, and it is that you lose it sometimes, it's a red light. And then it could be that you have bad thoughts about God, and you begin to say, where did that come from? How am I thinking bad things about the God who saved me? But it's come, and it's a red light. It may be that you have grown cold in worship. Hey, listen, friends, when you come to a worship time like we've had this morning, if you are just watching what's going on, you've got cold in your worship. It is that you are not intended to come and see worship, you're intended to come and enter into worship so that your heart is drawn out after God. And when you lose that sense of now worshiping God and coming into his presence to worship him, When you get to that place, you'll find things wrong with everything. You'll say, they say, well, it's the lights and it's the fog and it's this and it's that. And they don't sing this song and that song. It's a sign that you're growing cold in your worship. For me, friends, they can be singing a nursery rhyme up here. If I'm in this place to worship, I'm going to worship God with all my heart. The impulses of the heart that you need to keep on the dashboard of your life. Remember that God says, keep your heart. He didn't say, keep your neighbor's heart. He said, keep your heart. No one can know the impulses that lurk in your heart better than you can know it yourself. You know your heart better than your wife knows it. You know your heart better than your pastor knows. The fact is that you can hide it from everyone else, but you can't hide it from God. So you have to be honest with yourself, and you have to identify the impulses of the heart that you need to guard against. Whenever he comes, the red light comes on, and you now stop in your tracks and say, I can't allow this to happen. I encourage you to get that pen and paper out and write down the things that you know the enemy of your soul will bring and also that the impulse of your heart will bring to take you away from God. The items on your list will change as time goes by, but I promise you, you will need to keep those red light warnings before you. Now let me tell you that nearly all the wisdom that you will ever need comes in two parts. It is knowing God and knowing yourself. If you're going to walk with God, it's important that you know him, but it's important that you know yourself. So that it is that you can guard your heart from wandering away from God. 
It is that now you come to a place where you are able to say, I know my heart. Don't become a stranger to your own heart. Don't feel that you don't need to now check up on your own heart. Watch your heart with all vigilance, the scripture says. And then this, watch the momentum of sin. You know, sin always begins in the heart like a stone rolling down a hill. It's easy to stop when it begins to roll, but once it picks up momentum, you're not going to stop it. So keep your heart with all vigilance. Watch for the first flicker of a red light. You know, every time I hear of a Christian whose life has shipwrecked into immorality, and there's been an immoral collapse, Whenever you hear that kind of thing, you can be sure that behind that story, before that major fall happened, the person had a long history of not dealing with some sin. That it is, it didn't just happen overnight, but they've allowed the devil to creep in and they've allowed their heart to wander from God and now they're in a place where it's on such a momentum they can't stop it. I, 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 I want to warn you about that. I, 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 I want to talk to parents and say to parents, you need to be careful of the momentum of your kids and gaming on their computers because it gets to such a momentum. I talked with a guy yesterday and he says, I, I admit it, I'm absolutely addicted and he gets into anger moments that are uncontrollable all because of a stupid game that's on a computer. Guard your heart. Then you have to investigate. You remember the Apostle Paul asked some Christians, you were running well. What did hinder you? What got you slipped up? This was, there was a time when you were making good progress. There was a time when you were going hard after God. There was a time when it was that you are, are now in the Christian, was in the Christian life and you loved God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Everything in you burned after God. There was a time when you found joy in Jesus time when your love for the Savior burned so brightly and you had great passion for others to know Jesus. You wanted everyone to know Jesus. And then you made significant sacrifices in order for the gospel to go out to others. You give your time and your effort to serve Jesus Christ with all your heart. You face difficulties with courage and you said, I can get through this. With the help of God, I could get through this. It was that you battled against deeply rooted sins in your life. You said, I'm not going to allow this sin to get a hold of my life. And you grew in holiness. Paul says, what happened to you? What stopped you? Where are the weights that slowed you down? What are the things that you allowed into your life that stopped your continued progress so that you're not moving forward? Who hindered you? This is the place of being ruthlessly honest. You say, I'm not really sure. I don't know what happened, Pastor. Well, you know, the Bible shows us a man who wasn't going to let that happen and he went to God in prayer. You'll read about it in Psalm 139. And this is what the, the psalmist David wrote. He said, search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. 
And so it is that you come to God. If you want to know the state of your heart, you say, I don't know what the state of my heart is. You talk with God. He will soon begin to show you where things are not what they should be. Because he loves you. Then you need to talk it out with a Christian friend or a pastor. But don't settle until you get the answer. It's too important. How you deal with the problem uh, that you, you do not know is there is, is impossible for you to deal with. But when you know that there's a problem in your heart, you're not as close to Jesus as you were. You're not following him as hard as you used to. You're not as passionate for him as you used to. Then the fact is that you have a problem and you need to get it before the Lord so it can be sorted out. You know, I feel that there are many Christians who study the Bible, but they hardly ever study their hearts. They've never learned to do this. So, the next thing is that we confess. 1 John 1 9 uh, says this If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a marvelous promise, but it's a conditional one. The condition is, is that we confess our sins. If we confess our sins. In other words, if we see the red light, then we bring it to God in confession. And we trust the blood of Jesus to cover it. Hey, Christian, Christian, serious question. What's the last sin you last confessed to God? When was the last time you confessed your sin to God? You see, there are many who experience salvation. Not many enjoy this salvation. There is much form of godliness, but little power of it in people's lives. So what's missing? It's the reality of keeping your heart, watching, investigating, confessing. Confession must always first be to God, but then it's good to sit down with a trusted friend and to talk with a trusted friend and say, I need your help. You know, I was recently in conversation with a few of our elders. I told them that I was seeing things change in my own heart that I didn't like. I wasn't liking what I saw. I listed several things. One of them was becoming impatient. That's a red light that needs to be addressed. And I was talking to a friend a few weeks ago, another pastor friend who is now way into his uh, early 70s. And he's experiencing this new passage of life. And um, he was now having to move away from the responsibilities that he had before. And he said this to me. He said, I can see the path to becoming a grumpy old man from here. And I don't want to go down it. You see what he was doing? He was watching his heart. He could see the path of becoming a grumpy old man. And he says, I'm not going down that path. He was doing something about it. He was watching his heart. It sees what is coming and saying, if I allow that to take root in my soul, I am going to dishonor Christ in my older years and I must guard my heart from that with all vigilance. I don't want to become a grumpy old man, he said. Here's the next thing. You have to commit. You have to commit to now acting when the red light comes on. Listen. For every red light on the dashboard, it is that there's a green light that will be its opposite. Green lights are impulses in your soul that reflect what the Bible says and the direction that you should go. 
So as the red light comes on, you now make a decision. I'm not going to go and do. I'm not going to allow that to get a grip on me. I'm going to follow the green light. Let me give you a few examples of green light. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, listen, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that's not an exhaustive list, friends. You could add other things like forgiveness and also courage is something that comes out of this life in a walk with God. So that it is that I'm not going to allow myself to go down the road where I won't forgive someone for what they've done. I won't allow myself to get to the place where I won't forgive myself for something. I am going to live where forgiveness is going to come out of me because of the fact I'm going to watch the red light of unforgiveness and I'm going to be a person of forgiveness. Those of you who are parents of young children, you know that the easiest way to get someone, uh, a, a child away from something harmful is to change their focus and attention to something that is good. And and we need to identify the green lights that correspond to our red lights. So when the red light comes on, I'm going to do what the green light tells me to do in order that I go down a right way. So with me, with my impatience, I prayed this prayer. I wrote it out. And the prayer says, Lord, by your grace and through your power, I renounce this impatience. I want nothing more to do with it, Lord. Help me now to grow in patience Guard my heart from the enemy within and use the circumstances that have provoked this impulse to sin in my heart to become the occasion of new growth into the likeness of Jesus. For your glory, I pray. Hey, That's how Christian growth happens. The very circumstances that provided the red light are the very circumstances that are causing me now to grow in faith as I go with the green light. Now, there's one final thing. Are you still here? Wake the one up next to you, will you, and tell him he's nearly finished. Just tell him that. I told the story this week down at the Southside Mission. I was speaking to their staff. Are you all right with the story? Okay. And, And I told this story about a guy that was a carpenter and he turned up late for church on a Wednesday night and he went into church and church was underway so he just sat at the back and he had his box of tools with him he had his case of carpentry tools and anyway the preacher got up and he began to preach and he, he preached and 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 he went on and on and on well the carpenter at the back he got fed up of this and he reached down into his bag And he threw a hammer at the pastor. The only thing was, it it didn't reach and it hit the deacon on the front row. And as the deacon fell to the ground, he was heard to say, hit me again, I can still hear him. Now listen, the person who is far from God has no interest in looking into their heart. But when God gives you a new heart, it is that you have a new interest in keeping your heart as he calls you to do. Examine the heart to discover the trends of sin in our lives is something that godly people do. 
And to be honest, godly people who look into their hearts can find it at times. Listen, looking into your own heart at times can be very discouraging. They're amazed that after all that God has done for them and after all their experience in following God, that there should still exist in their heart this principle that tends towards a secret sinning and an alarm in turning away from God. And so they get very discouraged. Looking at your own heart, friends, I want to warn you, can easily lead you into a place of feeling defeated But I have an answer for it for myself and I'm passing on the secret to you. You see, what I've done is this. For every look at my heart I take, for every look at self that I take, I take ten looks at Jesus. Oh oh yeah, oh yeah, because you see, you look at your own heart uh, uh, and you begin to remember that by his blood on the cross, Christ opened a fountain for the cleansing of sin and for the renewing of the spirit. And we need that flow of his blood every day. See, I can take you back to a day when I knelt at an old lady's couch, sofa, And I surrendered my young life to Jesus Christ and I was saved. But I want to tell you something else. I get saved every day. Uh, uh, Yeah, because I'm not as perfect as you, you see. So I I, I have to get down before the Lord today and say, Lord, I I want you to forgive me and I want you to cleanse me. Because uh, uh, God, as, as good as people think I am, I'm not that good. And God, you know my heart. And I want my heart in tune with you. And I'm looking to you. And I want that crimson flow. I want that blood of Jesus to cleanse me today as much as the day I give my life to it. I need Jesus every day. I don't know about you. I need him every day. Let's be done, friends with this poisonous religion of God won't mind how I live my Christian life. It's not true, it's not biblical, uh, and most of the people who tout that kind of living, they've not read the word of God, they do not know the scriptures. They never obey the scriptures, and they never search their own heart. Hey, listen, I need a daily cleansing By the blood of Jesus, I come to him every day. The sins that lurk in our hearts, the traitors that are trying to take us down from the inside, we bring them to the blood of Christ and to the power of God. And next week, I'm going to talk to you about a weapon that is available to everyone. His name is Holy Spirit, and he will give you power as well to fight the battle. Now, In finishing, I love the flow of this old English hymn. Uh, It's written in the old English type of language, really, but um, it was written by a guy called James Edwin Orr. Uh, He was a revivalist in the 1930s in England, Uh, and he wrote these words. The words are, search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, and know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. I praise thee, Lord, for cleansing me from sin. Fulfill thy word and make me pure within. Fill me with fire where once I burned with shame. 
Grant my desire to magnify thy name. Lord, take my life and make it wholly thine. Fill my poor heart with thy great love divine. Take all my will, my passion, self and pride. I now surrender, Lord, in me abide. And then the final verse said, O Holy Ghost, revival comes from thee. Send a revival, start the work in me. Thy word declares thou wilt supply our need for blessing now, O Lord, I humbly plead. Hear the scripture one more time. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Let's stand together in the presence of the Lord. Holy Spirit, right now I pray that you will cause your word to drop right into people's hearts. Forgive the feeble speech of your servant. And for the sake of your children, will you do what I can't do? Will you cause your word to mean something, to drop into people's hearts? Father, will you hear my cry? We're going to ask the prayer team to come forward because you may be here in need of prayer this morning and they'll stay as long as you need prayer but they're going to come forward and uh, as they come forward if you're in need of prayer I want you to just come up to any of them they've been praying for you but I especially want to do something while they're coming forward I, I want to do this hey listen confession is good for the soul it's good for your soul and so this morning, I, I, I really feel a burden to pray for you. I'm, I'm not going to lay hands on you. I'm just going to pray for you. But if you say, Pastor, I've got to be honest. I've been battling this stuff. I've allowed my heart to get away from God. I've allowed my heart to wander. I've allowed my heart to lead me into sin. I've allowed my heart to do all sorts of things. And I'm not where I was. But I want to come back. I want you to raise your hand. You're gonna, it's going to be courageous for you to do that. You're going to have the courage. Do it. Raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. That's me. I need to come and surrender it all back to God. To say, God, without you, I can't live this life. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will break the powers of the evil one on the outside and that you will chase down the traitors on the inside of people's hearts. I pray right now, O oh God, that they will tune their heart into God. That, Lord, they will bring you back to the center, that they will bring you back to the place where they can run to you, and that you, O oh God, will hear their cry, forgive their sin, and give them a brand new start. Oh God, will you hear their cry this morning? Their hands have gone up to you, not to me. I pray that you will help them in Jesus' name. So right now, if you're in need of prayer, you say, I need someone to pray with me. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you've got difficulties you're going through. Maybe the word has spoke to you this morning and you need prayer. Then please be free now to come up to the front as the team just sing a song to lead us out here.